You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to Now Hear This. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. Now Hear This is a conversation with leaders in Indianapolis that are working to improve the lives of Hoosiers. Our goal is to empower you to join in their work and make a difference while informing you about the unseen aspects of life in Indiana. If you miss an episode, you can listen via podcast at nowhearthisindy.com. A great show today. It is with an organization that you have seen their work, you have appreciated their work, but you may not have known that they were behind it. And so we're very excited to feature the work of Keep Indianapolis Beautiful. And today we have Christina Euland, who is the VP of Development and External Affairs, and Alejandra Lagunas, the Arts Engagement Project Coordinator. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. I'll start with Christina. Tell us a little bit about C- Keep Indianapolis Beautiful. Hi, Chris. Thanks so much, and thanks for having us on today. Um, I'd love to tell you about Keep Indianapolis Beautiful, and I'm glad to hear that you've seen our work around. Um, Keep Indianapolis Beautiful is a nonprofit organization. We've been working in Indianapolis for over 40 years, actually almost 45 years now. And our mission is to engage diverse communities to create vibrant public spaces that help people in nature thrive. And we do that in lots of ways that um, that you do see and some ways that you don't see. A lot of people know Keep Indianapolis Beautiful because we plant thousands of trees in Indianapolis each year. And um, newer trees that we plant, younger trees, you can usually identify because they have little white tubes at the base of the tree, and they're usually right along the street, um, and you'll see them pop up. And and more often than not, those are trees that were planted um, with the help of Keep Indianapolis Beautiful. We also do a lot by way of litter abatement. Um, We provide supplies to uh, communities, to uh, neighborhoods and adopt a block captains um, so they can keep their streets free from litter. And we're actually just starting to engage in a pretty large behavior change campaign to hopefully keep people from um, starting litter problems (laughs) uh, to begin with. So you can look for that coming up soon as well. One of the things we do to um, to really uh, hit home on beautification is also engaged in quite a bit of public art throughout the community. I think we're going to talk about that a little bit more today. Yeah, so let's let's talk to Alejandra, who is the Arts Engagement Project Coordinator. Tell us about some of that public art that you work on. Yeah, thank you, Chris, for having us again. Uh, so one of the projects that we are currently working in uh, is uh, the Indie Art and Seek project. Uh, and what the Indie uh, Art and Seek project is an engaging and accessible public art project uh, that was designed to give a voice in creating public art uh, for all Indianapolis residents, uh, particularly in neighborhoods that have been traditionally underserved in, uh, in arts, culture, and green infrastructure. Uh, we, uh, in, in 2018, we received a grant from the Lily Endowment um, through their Strength Indianapolis through Arts and Culture uh, Innovate, Innovation Initiative. And we partnered with the Arts Council to provide uh, this opportunity for local artists to engage in their communities uh, with, um, with um, this small moments of delight, something that we like to uh, call the moments of delight, uh, little, little small scale interventions that are happening through uh, all the Indianapolis neighborhoods. 
Yeah, and uh, be sure to go to nowhearthisindy.com to hear our interview with the Arts Council of Indianapolis. And uh, she she mentioned this project. Um, as you mentioned, 100 new art interventions throughout the community, um, as well as six large-scale installations. Can you, pardon me for the pun, it's not intentional, but can you paint a picture of what what is an, uh, an intervention, an art intervention, those large-scale, what do they look like? What As people are driving around or walking around, what should they look for? How do they know that that's attached to Keep Indianapolis Beautiful? Well, uh it is happening through all Indianapolis. Um, it, we, first of all, let me back myself up a little bit. Uh, and our intervention is a small temporary, uh, and when I say small, small scale, if you think of, of a box of, of four by four, um, and it's an, you, you, usually small scale at, at, with those dimensions, it's an artistic installation or action that changes the perception of a place. So all these artists who are involved in Art and Seek are talking to their communities and are talking uh, and they're taking uh, existing infrastructure in the neighborhood and 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 they are reacting to to those uh, existing infrastructure. Um, and and as I mentioned, for this in the Art and Seek, we also referring uh, the art interventions, this temporary initial small scale projects. Um, moments of delight, something that changes the perception uh, of the existing infrastructure in, in the neighborhood. So, so for example, yeah. there might be a crack in a sidewalk that's been there for years and years, and an artist can come along and make a beautiful chalk art or um, or temporary painting around a crack in the sidewalk that totally makes it seem different to someone who would see it. That's great. Yeah, I watched a documentary on Detroit, and one of the ways that they drove down crime was public art and and changing this, the sides of buildings because when everybody wants to stand next to a building and take a picture, criminals or people engaged in criminal activity don't generally want to be around cameras. So, uh, you know, is, is, is it things like that? Is that part of the, the process and the thinking? What Give me the... Um, this is to, to either one of you, I'll, to Christina, I'll, I'll ask you, you know, what is the goal of this? If you're out there and you're listening and you're not necessarily an art lover, you know, <laughs> convince that person that this is a, a worthy initiative. So one of the things we know is that people are much more likely to engage in cultural activities if they're fun, right? So one of the, um, the goals around this project was to make art accessible in your everyday life, right? To, to residents across the city. Doesn't have to necessarily be something that you buy an expensive ticket to and, and plan a sitter for and things like that. You could experience it, you know, as you're walking down the sidewalk. And one of the ways we're really making it fun is by um, providing or, or developing a specific uh, mobile app that goes along with the project that makes it a little more uh, interactive for folks who are seeking out these interventions throughout the city. Um, when we were thinking about developing the app, and of course we have a partner who's helping develop that, um, one of the things that came to mind were how much people love to play Pokemon Go. Uh, and I don't know if you're familiar with um, geocaching that was popular a few years ago where you would find small things in unexpected places. So this mobile app will allow people to be directed to the general area where the art's located, but still allow for that aha moment of, um, oh, here it is, I found it, and it's 
it's different than I expected. And it has, um, um, I wouldn't have thought I would find a piece of art here. Um, so by adding in a really fun element to the art, um, I think that's why someone who doesn't necessarily maybe consider themselves um, uh, well-versed in, in art or public art might really find participating in this project uh, really fun and exciting. Alejandra, can you give a, and let us a let us know when your app is released and b and where they can find it and then b what impact have you heard in terms of stories from artists or from people in the community that wow this this uh, installation came in it changed this give us uh, what impact have you seen on the ground on an individual basis? I think it's really important uh, that. It, there has been that interaction between the community uh, group organization or leaders and the, and the artists, uh, because together they have developed the, this ideas of, uh, of look, they have talked about locations, they have talk, talked about themes, uh, issues that are happening in their community or any other ideas that they will like to, for others outside their neighborhood to explore. Um, I personally have seen stories of uh, communities wanting to change the perception of, of being a bad neighborhood uh, for other for other members in the community to having this perception of look what my community has to offer. Look at this little um, building in the corner of intersection, blah, 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 and blah, 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 and uh, know the history uh, of this building that it has been here. It used to be uh, I don't know, a grocery store that a lot of the community members gather and share stories. Um, and for for artists, I think when we first had uh, the opportunity to select all the art to all the artists, it started during the COVID kind of <laughs> crisis. And um, when we send all the notification of you have been accepted, it was really awesome to see um, emails coming back to us saying, oh, I really appreciate this opportunity. This is going to change everything. Um, and we are so excited because we need it. As artists, COVID is going to change everything for us. And as artists, we are able to, to participate in r and 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 have other members of the community see our work. So it's it's been it's been great. It's been great. Christina, add on to that, and I'd also ask, you know, can people still nominate locations, or if you're an artist, can they still participate? Well, so I'll, I'll start with your first question. So I, Alejandra hit on a little bit one of the things that makes this project pretty unique in that um, the, engaging the communities where the art was to be located was paramount to the success of the, um, the project. And in fact, I think we've probably spent as much or more time focused on making sure the community was part of selection of the location and working with the artists than we have um, having the artists actually create the art. So that was really, really important to us. And then also 100% of the artists participating are local Indianapolis based, uh, or at least, you know, the sub Indianapolis and the suburbs <laughs> based artists. Um, we There are no artists who are coming in from out of state to, to work on this project. So you'll find a great mix of really established artists as well as new emerging artists um, featuring their work in the project. At this time, I believe all of the locations have been selected and all of the artists are engaged, but you know, hopefully this will just be a springboard for similar projects. We can continue to place even more public art throughout the city 
um, in future years. But but we're looking forward to getting this app launched and this 106 art pieces available to the public yet this fall. When is the app coming out? Uh, September 5th. Perfect. All right. Check your app stores, Android, iOS app stores for that. Um, you, you mentioned the litter project and can you give us, uh, I'm going to ask Christina this, who is Christina Uland, who is the VP of development uh, and external affairs for Keep Indianapolis Beautiful. Their website is kibi.org. Uh, how did Keep Indianapolis Beautiful start? And tell us a little bit about the, the early mission and how that has evolved over the years. Sure, you're asking how we got into the litter game. Yeah, how'd you get into this wild game of conservation? So, uh, Keep Indianapolis Beautiful was started uh, during the Hudnut administration. It was originally called the Indianapolis Clean City Committee. Was this and, the, the, uh, the famous was, hoop? The famous hoop shot? Yes, commercial? the Hudnut okay. Hook. You remember, yep. maybe you don't, but you've heard of the Hudnut Hook, uh, the big public service announcement campaign. So, there was actually a national travel writer who had visited Indianapolis during that time and didn't have very nice things to say about this city, um, specifically in terms of um, the litter that he saw when he was here. So uh, the mayor at that time really took that to heart and said, I'm going to put some people on the case. And so he formed a small uh, city committee of folks to really look into that, into that and address it. And that's sort of the, um, the genesis of the big public service announcement campaign. And over the years, it grew from a, a city office to um, spun off as its own nonprofit, um, you know, in the 80s. And for, so now for 45 years, we've been um, continuing that fight and uh, making sure that folks had resources and knowledge to keep their streets and alleyways uh, free of litter and debris. But it's something you can't take your eye off of, right? Like it's something you have to, um, to, to stay on top of all the time. And one of the things that's happened... Um, or, or is emerging as a sort of a new uh, litter problem is um, PPE litter. So, mm. you know, folks are using their gloves and their masks and then they, they want rid of them as soon as possible. And sometimes um, that's before they encounter a trash receptacle or an appropriate place to put that. So that's something that's um, relatively new that we're, we're starting to put some messaging out around the, the importance of um, properly disposing of your gloves and your face coverings. So what programs do you do to ensure that? Because one thing that I, I travel a lot for work and I go to major cities and they just don't hold a candle to Indianapolis in terms of its cleanliness. And you hear that a lot. We have 41,000 jobs tied to tourism and hospitality here in Indianapolis. And uh, w when we're able to have big events, uh, it is commonly said this is just the best city. You know, it's it's clean. It's safe. Um, so how do you make that happen? What, what programs do you employ to uh, keep us litter-free? Well, I'm so glad to hear you say that, Chris. It's not just KIB who helps keep Indianapolis, um, you know, uh, free from litter and, and not holding a candle to, to the peer cities. But, um, but we do provide support uh, to that end. And some of the primary programs I mentioned a little earlier, um, we encourage folks to adopt their blocks. And um, we have, uh, at, at any given year, almost a thousand individuals who have adopted a city block. And uh, depending on where you live, that might include your the street front as well as the alleyway behind your homes. Um, and those folks go out every week. They make sure their storm drains are clear. They make sure um, the the you know any random debris is is picked up, and they put it in their own 
you know, household trash for carryaway, which, um, which is awesome. And anyone can volunteer to do that. There's a map right on our website at KIBI.org. You can see if your block is adopted. If it's not, you can adopt it or you can adopt an adjacent block. So that's a big program. We also have a program called Great Indie Cleanup. That's part of a larger national initiative called the Great American Cleanup, which happens every year. And um, that program runs spring through um, autumn. And with that, you can actually gather a group of your neighbors in your neighborhood and request um, uh, anything as large as a dumpster to be put you know, out in, into your um, neighborhood for the weekend so all of your neighbors can clean up together and and um, make sure that the alleyways are clear and the large debris is clear. We'll provide trash bags, we'll provide gloves and litter grabbers. Um, and the folks in your neighborhood will get credit for being volunteers for the weekend. Um, and then also I mentioned um, that we're embarking on a, a behavior change campaign. We're actually doing that with a scientific research partner who's really working to get around, um, to get some information about why people choose to litter when they litter. So anything from illegal dumping uh, to just convenience litter, wrappers, drink containers, like what happens at that moment when you decide not to put your trash where it goes and rather to just put it wherever you are. We're really trying to hone in on that, when that behavior starts and how we can um, get inside someone's head at that moment and have them make a different choice. That's really interesting. Do you have any insight on that? And secondly, you know, I never thought I'd ask a follow-up question on litter, but here we are. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm fascinated by that because you typically just think of the person driving down the road throwing the fast food wrapper out the window, but you mentioned different kinds of litter. Like, what does that look like? I mean, I, you drive through certain parts of town, you may see a mattress or you may see you know, uh, other, other pieces, you know, what does litter look like in, in Indianapolis? So we kind of think about two kinds of litter. We think about illegal dumping, which is really large litter that someone either didn't know where to take it or didn't have the resources to take it where it needed to go. So one of the things we're going to try to do is make sure that everyone in Indianapolis knows how to properly dispose of those large items that they no longer want or need in their home. Things like mattresses, old appliances, um, things that are just hard to understand how to dispose of them. So we're going to work on getting that information out with our partners at the city of Indianapolis um, and also the trash haulers like Rays and Republic. And then there's like what we refer to as sort of the convenience trash. So you mentioned, you know, fast food wrappers and that. There's also um, a lot of cigarette butt litter that needs to be addressed and we're working on ways to address that. We actually just received a grant from Keep America Beautiful to do some marketing messaging around um, cigarette butt litter specifically. Um, so we're hoping to roll that out. We will be rolling that out in the next year. But um, but yeah, so there are lots of different kinds of litter. Um, there's also um, litter that will accumulate in a lot that is vacant or in an underpass. Um, so it, we're, what we're really doing is we are delving into the decision-making process for litter in each of those locations and then we're working to develop interventions and pilot some interventions around decreasing specific types of litter that happen not only in different places, but but different like physical pieces of litter and, and make sure people know how to best dispose of those. Uh, is one of them just like I wouldn't know where to take a couch. You know, if I didn't live in an apartment <laughs> complex and couldn't throw it in the dumpster, then I'm not, I'm not sure what I would do. Is it just a lack of education on, on how to dispose of some of these things? 
Right. People just assume that it's not okay to dispose of a couch. But I can tell you from personal experience, uh, if you all you have to do is know when your heavy trash day is. And for most residents of Marion County, that's once a month. Sometimes it's even twice a month. Um, on your regular trash day, you can put out up to two what they call heavy trash items. Mm. So a sofa, a mattress, um, those those qualify as heavy trash. You just need to know what day to put it out, and it will it will go away. Look at that. That's excellent. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's a you know a couch, a mattress, a fridge. If you know what day to put it out, you can uh, dispose of it. Well, that is fantastic. Um, all right, final question for both of you. I'll, I'll ask each of you. Again, we're talking to Keep Indianapolis Beautiful. My name is Chris Spangle. Their website is kibi.org. And I am talking to Christina Uland, who is the VP of Development and External Affairs, and Alejandra Lagunas, who is the Arts Engagement Project Coordinator. Uh, Alejandra, what is the thing that you see every single day in your work that you wish everybody understood about what you do? Um, I think uh, community, um, I think community engagement, it's different um, at dif- with different neighborhoods, different organizations. Um, and I wish people could understand that you don't go into a neighborhood and and just do a project. You have to get to know the neighborhood. You have to get to know their needs, um, and and work from there. How do you do that? What's the process? Is it just going door to door and talking to folks, or do you send out surveys and mailers? Like, how do you how do you get to know a community before you move into work in it? I think uh, it starts with personal research. Um, I think that's uh, one of the first steps, uh, just personal research, and kind of the second step is if it requires to go door to door, I think that's, that is what is needed. Um, if it requires to, to talk to the community leaders who have been there for years and years and, and, and they are the ones who can uh, put you in contact with the rest of the community, that's what it takes. I think it's just different. Dif- um, it just, it's just different and you have to be able to accommodate their needs and, and their work process. Could you give me an example? Because I'm I'm fascinated by this. The differences in neighborhoods. You've I think we've by now have all seen the map that that black and white map of Indianapolis with all the little you know Little Flower and Irvington and I'm in Southport. Um, can either of you give us an idea of the the different characteristics of these neighborhoods as you go out and work in them? You know, is there is there one you know like this is just a very strong willed community? Like I don't I'm not sure what the characteristics of a neighborhood might be, but as you're talking to these leaders and the people in these communities, give us an idea of the different characteristics around Indianapolis in these neighborhoods. Uh, I love Indianapolis, and it's really difficult for me to 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 hear say say on earth the different like some how what I like about the different um, communities. But some my some neighborhoods are super well organized and have committees, and uh, some others are very laid back and and just kind of go with the flow. But as far as other characteristics is. I think it's just one of the main characteristics is that they all want their neighborhoods to be safe. Uh, they all want their neighborhoods to to be to be walkable, to be to have green spaces um, for for the future of of 
for future generations. Christina, I'll ask you that about the different characteristics of the neighborhood, but also talk about the importance of greenscape, greenscapes and green spaces. Mm-hmm. So um, the official, I know the map that you're speaking of, we have a few of them in our office. Um, officially, there are 99 Indianapolis neighborhoods and KIB has done work in 96 of those and we're working on the last three. Um, so we, we have pretty good experience working with neighbors and community leaders across the city. Um, one of the things we're really excited about the Art and Seek project being able to help with is allowing community members to really talk about the heritage and the, um, the background, what's important um, to their specific neighborhood what's changing about their neighborhood. Those are conversations they're able to have with the artist prior to this art being installed. Um, so the experience of someone living in Hallville, Hallville may be very different than the experience of someone living in Riverside, but they can have conversation with the artist about how that might be expressed through art. Um, and you know, you said your neighborhood is Southport. I'm, I'm in a similar area, you know, here and, and, our daily lives, what we all live in Indianapolis, but the heritage and, and the things that make the South Side uniquely the South Side are very different than the things, you know, that, that might make Riverside uniquely Riverside. So we think it's important not to make those assumptions as KIB or as the Arts Council, but to really make sure that the folks who are living there every day are able to express those things through art, which is fantastic. Who determines what is a neighborhood? Is it the neighborhood itself? Because, you know, Southport runs into Homecroft pretty quickly. You know, if you're you're in Little Flower, it turns into Irvington fairly quickly. How do how is there a determination made? Or is it just uh, the neighbors declare I'm part of this? <laughs> you know, you're absolutely right that an official neighborhood may have two or three or more um, sort of self-defined smaller neighborhoods. And when you get into places that have subdivisions um, or HOAs, that HOA or subdivision may define themselves as a neighborhood. But we use the um, the Indy Maps uh, official um, map that's available through the City of Indianapolis website and is also reflected on the Indy Vitals um, where you can look up demographic information about all the neighborhoods in Indianapolis. Well, that's great. Um, I'll ask you that final question too, Christina. What is the thing that you see every day that you wish everybody understood about your work? Oh, gosh. I wish people who feel like they don't have a voice in projects or things that are happening in Indianapolis would reach out uh, to organizations like Heath Indianapolis Beautiful or like the Arts Council or many others to realize that we're always seeking feedback from residents about our work, about what they want to see in their neighborhood or in their city. Um, that Indianapolis in general is just a very accessible place um, to get meetings, to get conversations going. So um, what I wish is that when people feel frustrated about the way things are, uh, they would make a phone call or send an email and, and start a conversation so that maybe together we can work through some of our challenges. Well, excellent. We've been speaking to Keep Indianapolis Beautiful. Again, that website is KIBI.org. If you'd like to get involved, what if you want to get involved? I mean, I imagine there's a volunteer sign up. I'm sure you take donations. Give us a pitch on uh, how to get involved. And, and if you want to give, can you do that? Oh, absolutely. If you go to KIBI.org slash donate, um, of course, um, we are grateful for every financial dollar anyone um, can can make to KIB, but 
you know, we could not complete um, work around the community without many, many volunteers each year. That same website has a project calendar that's updated daily with volunteer opportunities. Those are a little more limited um, in a COVID environment than they would be in a typical year, but we still have volunteer opportunities available. Um, we're working on some green space build outs this year that are gonna be fantastic. Um, so there are a few opportunities to do that yet this fall. And related to Art and Seek, I just hope everybody downloads the app and when it's a nice afternoon and you wanna take a walk, you really think about going out and seeing some really creative public art um, and getting involved that way as well. All right, excellent. Thank you so much, Christina Uland, VP of Development and External Affairs, and Alejandra Lagunas, the Arts Engagement Project Coordinator for Keep Indianapolis Beautiful. Thank you both for joining me. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for listening to Now Hear This. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. If you missed any portion of our program, you can listen on our website, nowhearthisindy.com. If you'd like to have your organization featured on the show, please contact Gabby at 317-475-7407 or via the contact page on our website. Thank you for listening, and we will be back again next weekend with Now Hear This. Confused about the news? If you want to sound smarter when talking with your friends, our mission at the We Are Libertarians podcast network is to inform you about the world in an independent and irreverent way. We take current events far more seriously than we take ourselves. Get all nine of our shows at wearelibertarians.com or in any podcast app by searching for We Are Libertarians. 